Welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. March 8th, 2020, episode 169. This is a one-on-one with Jeff Wazlowski. It's a Tuesday night, and I'm going through my list of notes and came across a Facebook exchange with a beekeeper back from November. It was November 13th, to be specific, and I was sitting in my hotel room in Pretoria, Africa, when a message popped up on my phone from Jeff, letting me know that he was a treatment-free beekeeper, and he was responding to my call-out about chatting with someone about the treatment-free lifestyle. I made that request during episode 161, which is the one that explored the notions of treating and recognizing that the treatment-free lifestyle is a thing. And I'm happy to have Jeff join me on the program. Jeff, welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner. Well, thanks for having me on. Jeff, help me out. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. We literally just connect. I called you back and said, hey, you want to jump in a call? Uh, tell me where you are, what you do, a little bit about yourself. Um, um, I live in the Toledo, Ohio, right next door to that. Um, I'm a nurse. Um, I've been keeping bees about eight years. Um, and I've, for the whole time I've been keeping bees, I've never treated. How many colonies do you run? Uh, well, so 2018, I had uh, about 47 was the highest I had. And two, the year before, I had about 10 or 11 colonies. So 10 or 11, the 47, how do you keep them? Do you have them on your own property? you have them spread out to different places? I have five different yards that I keep them on. When you say you're treatment free, I've heard different descriptions and I don't mean to knock that. It's just a clarification. Treatment free, no chemicals, but you know, certain treatment free beekeepers would say they don't feed, they don't uh, do splits, they let them be, they do whatever. Tell us what treatment free definition means for you. Um, so to me, a treatment-free means that I don't treat with like oxalic acids. I don't treat with um, Apovar or products like that. Um, it also means that I don't do splits for mite control, and I don't pull drone brood for mite control also. Okay. So in essence, you start the season, your bees are in the box, you let them go, you super them up when you want honey, you pull your honey and then you collapse them back down and you just let them ride into winter. Correct. Sir. Um, do you sell bees or to do any of that? Um, I, I'm just going to start that. Um, I sold a couple nukes last year and I'm going to sell some nukes this year. How many that's going to vary on the demand and how late people want to wait to get them. So I, I allude to, uh, some of the dynamics we have here in New Jersey, which is a super high density of beekeepers in a small area, close proximity to each other. How is it where you are in Toledo? How, how many beekeepers, what's the closest beekeepers to some of your yards? Tell me a little bit about that. Um, so um, a couple of the yards, the one yard that I have at my house and a yard that I have at my friend Connie's house, those are two like my two big yards. So next to my property here, not very far away, probably less than a half a mile is probably, it's a really extremely large commercial orchard. 
So they mm-hmm. bring in a lot of bees in the spring there. And so it's got to be, I'm not sure how many acres it is, maybe a hundred or 200 acre or- orchard. So it's really yeah. large. So I think they take the bees out of there in the spring and there's really no bees in there after that. And then my other large yard, there's really um, only it's like a couple small beekeepers around that area. Um, but in the late summer, early fall, a beekeeper, a commercial, be- small time commercial beekeeper brings in about 40 um, colonies to that site um, in the fall of the year. And then they take them out uh, before winter comes. Do, do you know these beekeepers? I do not. Yeah. Do not. So you have no idea what their management practices are? Correct. But when you see, you know, from being in your hives, uh, in your yard, you could see robbing and you know it's one of your hives robbing another or whatever. Do you ever see any of the, the local bees coming in? Any sense yeah. of that? Yeah, I see. Um, I've seen robbing. Um, sometimes, I'm going to say this, is I can't tell if it's a neighbor's bee or my own bee that would be robbing one of my own hives. Yeah. I, 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 I tend know. to know sometimes when it's mine, just people ask that's a weird question mm-hmm. you could sometimes see him robbing one and literally taking the bounty back to the hive down the row and know that it's your own bees versus bees that are coming and going and they're literally flying off in a separate direction then you know the robbing is coming from somewhere else um so t- tell me a little bit about hives uh all langstroth or you doing anything else um so i am doing i'm all langs and I have, um, I have a horizontal lang also. Oh, do, then, do you make that or do you buy it? What is it? Um, I, I made it. Um, it's, it's a four foot long lang. It's all deeps. Um, it's running it conventional Langstroth hive frames. Yeah it's, yeah. it's conventional deep frames. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. How many of those do you have? I currently have four, but I only ran one last year because um, when you run higher numbers, um, for me, it's easier to manage a vertical hive over a horizontal. Pat, why is why would you say that? I mean, you're not moving, splitting boxes, doing all that. So, well, in the spring of the year, in the spring of the year for me, um, well, I will manipulate frames to um, try to increase brood production. So I will be checkerboarding. I will be pulling up frames from the bottom box. Mm-hmm. putting them in an upper box and then putting fresh frames between uh, in the lower box in there. So I try to stimulate um, uh, increased brood production by doing that. And I, and it might just be me, but uh, a lack of practice of doing that with a horizontal hive, but with a horizontal hive, um, uh, my mindset, it's, it's more difficult for me to do that. And maybe it's just because I don't do it enough. Yeah, and the dynamics are different. The dynamics. So it's really not that much different. It's just, um, I think it's just sometimes easier to figure out. And for me, in a vertical hive, where the pollen is going to be and where the stores are going to be, whereas in a horizontal hive, um, uh, I have them and I've used them long enough. But um, so the other dynamic with the horizontal hive is. Um, the good part of them is that they're usually a very robust hive and they outgrow their space because it's only four foot long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me about your, I mean, we're sitting here recording this in February. 
for a March okay. release. What's your season like? Is it similar to ours? Do you get your nectar flow, say, beginning of April? T- take us through your year, what, it, what it's like for you. Um, so the nectar flow and the pollen will be um, will begin the beginning of April. I mean, it just depends on the year with the weather, but it's, it's about there. And then um, it goes pretty consistent. We don't have much of a dearth typically because – it doesn't seem like we have that um, long periods of time without rain. So I know people that live maybe like an hour, an hour and a half south of me mm-hmm. in their summer, they seem to have more of a dearth in the summer than what I currently have being a little bit further north. So, and then our, our last frost is usually around um, the end of September to the, begin, the middle of October. So do you have any slowdown in the summer? If there's not a drought, there isn't typically. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's awesome. I would love to, <laughs> to have that roll right through the entire season. Um, mm-hmm. how, how do you feel about, uh, let, let's talk about, we were discussing Tim Ives, who's not too far from you, and he lives down in corn country. What's the general makeup of your ecosystem there? So I have, um, a, I, am, I try to put my yards next to areas that have, a lot of like undeveloped property. So like my personal property right here that I live on, um, there's a turnpike next to me. Well, there's an area that is undeveloped between a subdivision and the turnpike. And it's all tends to be briars and wild weeds like thistles, uh, raspberries, blackberries, Mm -hmm. different types of bushes. So I have areas that my bees, if they want to, they can go 300 feet and they can be in a commercial cornfield or soybean field, or they can go in another direction where they have access to a lot of wild plants. Um, so I try to put mine. There's always tends to be a lot of um, commercial type industrial agriculture, but there's always that option for them to go to other areas that's just as close um, uh, for them to get natural sources. So let's talk about uh, treatment-free from the aspect of no treatments. Uh, how do you source your stock? What kind of losses do you have? How do you recover? Talk a little bit about the dynamic of how that works for you. Um, so the sources, um, I started out with packages um, and a lot of people have a lot of issues with packages. I don't know. I just, I started out going to get Russians. My first mindset, getting bees. Um, I heard Russians were better. Going to go with screen bottom boards. And this that's was what eight I did. years ago you were able to do? Yep. Yeah. And I started right kind of from the beginning with vertical hives um, and did that and had really good success. Um, how do I, um, the kind of losses that I have, I have anywhere from 50 to 25% losses per year um, to recover from my losses. Uh, so it kind of depends on what I'm doing. Like last year, I wanted to get started early in the year. So I just bought extra queens and I took frames of bees from my existing hives and I got bees started from uh, uh, sources of bees down south. And then I would just crowd my hives, um, pull queen cells from those hives and take a couple frames of bees from another hive. Yeah. And, and pop that queen cell in there and just kind of go from there. Uh, you're familiar with Solomon's concept of expansion model? Yes. So yes. is that 
Would you say that's somewhat your recipe? So oh, yes. I, I 100% believe in the expansion. I believe that you need, to, if you want to keep 10 hives, you need to, if you want 10 hives to overwinter, you need to keep 15 to 20. Yeah. Okay. And that makes sense. Tell me, you said you bought some queens. You go after anything specific or you just going down and plunking your money down to some beekeeper supplier nearby? So I bought a couple, I bought some queens from um, uh, East Bees in Mississippi. Um, they were, um, they seem maybe kind of like more of an Italian type bee. Um, it really didn't fare all that great for me going in. I bought them last spring, um, put them with my existing couple frames of bees. They didn't do well. Um, Sam Comfort, I bought some queens from him. And those seem to fare pretty good for me. Yeah. Um, to, uh, as far as like overwintered so far this year, and I bought those. I bought those bees from him last spring also. So. Where does Sam Sam has bees all over the place? Did he tell you where they came from? Well, his the bees that I got those from um, were from Florida, but he says he takes a lot. He'll take his fall stock down to Florida and try to keep some of his genetic line northern line down south so he can get people early bees yeah i i don't know why you know there's so many beekeepers it's hard to keep track of everybody but i thought i remember seeing a video where he said he has his stuff up in new york and then he brings it down there um but he's still trying to facilitate um you know northern genetics for something like you and i where we're a little little north of Mm -hmm. uh temperate zone so do you ever raise your own uh, queens? Yes. Rear, yes. rear, do you do grafting and all that? I don't do grafting. What I've did this past year is I just crowd a box, and then um, when the queen starts, um, when she's crowded, she'll make cells, mm-hmm. and I can get anywhere from 13 cells from one hive when I pull that queen out of there. And um, uh, so that's kind of how I've done it. I really haven't done grafting, or I haven't done other methods on the spot or things like that. So you, you must uh, know there's two uh, to me, there's many flavors, but there's two predominant schools of thought. Uh, you can monitor Varroa mites or you could just assume that they're not do anything. Where do you do with Varroa? Do you even look, do you do any mite checks? Do you do forensics on hives that die? Um, so I don't do mite checks. I know every single one of my hive hives have mites in them because with the screen bottom board, I pull the bottom tray out and there's always mites in every single hive that I have. Um, trying to remember the other question you asked me. Um, uh, for me, I run screen, screen bottom boards and uh, one year I ran three solid bottom boards on hives and every um, one of those hives didn't make it to October. They all died from mites before then. So I'm, I think I had around eight hives that had screen bottom boards and three that didn't. And all of my hives that had um, uh, screen bottom boards made it into December. And all my ones that had solid bottom boards um, did not even make it to October. Do you have a reason? you think there's a... Uh hypothesis as to why that is um well my hypothesis is is that bees naturally groom mites off of themselves or they groom mites off of other bees is my assumption yeah so they're they're able to do it well enough to survive 
I, I mean, that's the whole point of a bottom board with a screen, right? Integrated pest management. If they are grooming and the mites are falling through, they can't get back through into the bees. So yeah, that, that would make sense if that's what's going on. So tell me, um, we discussed a little bit about genetics. Do you have any thoughts on, if, if you're a new beekeeper, you're thinking about going the treatment freeway. We've heard some of the recipe that you use to stay functional and successful. What else would you tell people? Um, I think a, a thing that can hurt um, a bee colony is, is a bee colony that has frames that are really not usable for them to lay brood in, in their brood nest. So if you have a lot of frames in the brood nest that aren't really viable for the queen to lay in, um, I think it can really um, affect their brood nest as far as its efficiency. So I think the more bees that the queen can produce, um, I think it goes, there's like a ratio Tim Ives was talking about in one of his talks. And he was saying that a hive that is one colony that is a one box deep is going to have the same amount of mites as a colony that's three boxes deep. I don't know if it's I really true have never heard anybody preach that idea. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. That was one of Tim Ives' talk. He thought his thought was, is that um, the more bees that you have in a hive, um, the more sustainable that hive can be as far as mites is concerned. Also too, is that if you have a hive that isn't producing as much drone brood, so the, the, you're going to have more mites in a hive that has more drone brood in it. So if you design your hive by having more space for her to lay just regular, um, regular brood instead of drone brood, then I think your ratio could be better there, better there also. So are you doing, you said somewhat, you know, you're trying to get rid of, unproductive comb are you pulling out drone comb at all never no you're you're letting it be i'm letting it be but for the next season i will look in my bottom boxes where my brood nest is going to be and i want to make i want to optimize the highest quality um comb in those hives so will you just rotate the brood comb up or out what do you do with it um both i will if it's good comb that has a lot of drone comb in it, I will yeah. rotate it up to honey boxes. If it's comb that has, if it's like what they call a stretch comb, or if it's comb that um, the queen doesn't want to lay in, um, uh, then I will pull that and just get rid of it and just put new foundation in. So Tim was a proponent of the 3D method. Are you doing any of that out there? I try. So you have to have um, a lot of bees going in the fall to get that. So my, that's what my goal has been. Um, his genetic stock, I think, is probably one of the better genetic stocks in the country. Um, he has bred them to do that. He has bred them for honey production. So um, that would be my goal. I don't think I'm there yet. I try to, I try, don't, I don't reduce my boxes. I don't force them down into one box like some beekeepers will. I'll, I will reduce their size, but I won't reduce their size dramatically. I will try to make their size um, more appropriate to what they are going in the fall. So if you went into a hive right now, just pick one. It's probably two deeps and you have, do you feed in the winter? 
Nope, no feeding. No? Okay. Do you feed in the fall at all? Nope. Wow. You don't know how fortunate you are. You know, what I'll tell you is I had bravado once where I had to know the answer. It wasn't irresponsible. I wanted to know if I didn't feed my bees, would they starve? And I literally refused to, to feed some of my hives just to see what would happen. And guess what? Every one of them starved. Wow. <laughs> and from that point on, I, I've, you know, resigned to the fact that if I don't feed my bees, they just can't live on the nectar flow that's available after the dearth where they won't grow big enough in the fall. So uh, it sounds like you have good nutrition and, and resources, which is got to be really a plus in your, in your checkbox there. So when you say um, make the hive small, if the hive gets to a single box at this time, right? They start at the bottom. They had a full honey dome. Most bees eat their way up, and you might find them underneath the inner cover at this time of year. Do you collapse them down to a single box, or you just let them be? At this time of year, I'll leave them be because the temperatures are really, it's really unsafe to manipulate hives when the temperatures are like in the 30s. Eventually when you get above the 45, 50 every day, would you do anything like a reversal or collapse them, put them in the bottom box, any of that, or you just let them be and they'll push their way from the top back down? Um, What I would probably do was when I got warm enough, I would probably try to pull, I would probably go through the comb and see which comb I would like to get rid of and and do that then. Um, I have found that bees, um, if you have a lot of comb that they don't like that much, if you put fresh comb in and you get a good nectar flow, they're going to build that comb out and the yeah. queen is going to be on that comb. So um, that's where the like fat bee man. Because when you hear my next episode, you'll know. Yeah. You know, the, going in that direction. So thanks yeah, for the, that. <laughs> so the fat bee man was saying that, um, you know, and that's something that I learned from him. It's like, you know, you can read all the books and watch every podcast, but, you make some of your own observations and he goes, he goes, make your own observation, put fresh, um, fresh foundation between um, existing frames in your brood nest. When they build that comb out, when you pull that boxes apart, um, where are you going to find the queen? And most of the time I'm going to find that queen on new foundation. They don't like foundation next to brood. And then when they build it out and it's fresh, I love to, to put bees right in it right away. So, yeah, I've seen that before. So, treatment-free. You're talking to treaters, right? A lot of my listeners are treatment people, and I do have treatment-free people that listen. What do you need to tell them? What, what would you like to share with them? Or if somebody's looking at treatment-free, I'm a treatment guy. I don't know how much good advice I can give them. But what do you think? Um, I would say um, if you're not running screen bottom boards, run screen bottom boards. And I run custom screen, custom screen bottom boards where um, I make sure they're very well um, draft proof. So I actually run um, a dadoed one buys around my bottom board. And then I cut an opening out in that and put foam underneath because Tim Ives was talking about in his uh, one presentation that if you have a cold bottom board in the spring of the year, the queen is only going to use, the bees are only going to use your bottom box for um, pollen storage. Yeah. And they're going to go up above that. So I would say screen bottom boards is a very key thing for me. And the other thing is, is not to put too many hives 
for your nectar flow. So if, if your area can only support three hives, then only put three hives there. If you have a, and I suggest trying to find more yards. If people want to keep bees and, and they want to keep 10 hives and their regard only accept two, you know, you can always talk to people, get to know people, knock on people's doors or whatever. Um, try to get some different yards going. Yeah, a good yard is worth its weight in gold. You don't insulate, do you at all? Oh, um, this is another thing that um, I am a huge believer in insulation because a hive that is warmer, um, the bees, I think, have a higher survivability rate because they can go out of their cluster to retrieve um, uh, their carbohydrate stores during yeah. winter. Mm -hmm. So I have a horizontal hive right now that I have on my Facebook page and I've been posting um, temps on that. And um, they have kept that hive at 90 degrees or above all winter long. Wow. I have a, I have a probe in there. So those bees don't need to cluster. Um, if they cluster, it's a very loose cluster. They can go. Um, and, and that's, and I only ran one horizontal last year and, and it's going to change because I've never had issues with bees overwintering and horizontals, but they have to be built correctly. Um, they have to be insulated where the insulation actually works. And I think that's some of the nuances of beekeeping too, is, is what you're doing. Make sure that it actually works instead of, you can put two inches of foam insulation on something, but if there's all kinds of air gaps and you're losing airflow, then it's not going to be effective. So do you, do you have them like airtight with only the entrances as ventilation? How Correct. Does, how does it, yeah, okay. Yep. Yep. I, I'm finding that more and more, that's becoming the answer for a lot of people, is insulate your hives, even all year long, you know, insulation across the top, and they need to be airtight. This whole ventilation thing that we were all taught in the beginning seems to be going away. Um, I, I can't, I don't want anybody to, to go <laughs> do that right away, but you know, I, I'm hearing more and more people who are experimenting with what you just said, airtight, let the bees control the, and they're not going to drown in humidity and they're not going to freeze and all that. And, uh, well, they can, if I were to say it, they will drown in humidity or well, they will drown in condensation. If the area above them is cold. And then if there's any air movement, that gets through gaps that can condensate and drip, drip onto them. So there's an understanding. So my horizontal hive, I have no upper ventilation in that. And there's two areas at the base of the hive that they can maintain airflow. But my verticals, I put just an area that's maybe three quarters of an inch wide by a half inch on my yeah. inner cover um, for upper ventilation. Okay. So if I recount what we talked about, you had a bunch of different yards. You do have losses, but you do your recoveries. You're an expansion model. You have a good nectar flow and, and food, varied food throughout the year. You don't really have a dearth, which is good. Um, you're running conventional setup. Doesn't sound like there's anything exotic. You do have a couple horizontal hives, which are unusual, but they're common enough. And, um, you didn't talk anything about genetics of your queens. You did talk about buying some from Mississippi, but are, are you selecting from your survivors and or specifically looking at any traits that you do and those are bees that you're 
rebuilding from? Um, last year I did not. Last year I just kind of expanded from uh, the bees that I had. I tried expanding from um, a few hives, but it was nothing uh, very um, scientific. Um, so this year I'm currently going to take my best hives and try to expand from those. Yeah. So, Fair and enough. you know, and, and the thing of it is, is like um, uh, if you don't feed um, pollen or nectar um, and you have a good nectar flow, then during the year, then the bees that don't make it um, are ones that are really going to be adapted to your climate. And I think that's something that um, genetically that I've have struggled with because I think sometimes when my bees go out and mate, they will mate with bees that are not really adapted to our climate. Yeah. And they will, they will not have a, it's just so much of a problem with mites, but they'll have more of a problem with not having the right amount of bees going into fall or they're laying brood too late and they're away from their honey stores and they will actually stay on that. They will cluster on the brood till it, hatches but then if they're if they don't have honey available to them on that frames that they're on then they starve out so that's a genetic component okay. that i think we all struggle with also do you, do you ever give your bees out to anyone locally to you or do you just stay kind of in your own space um i haven't had that many people ask because um uh, i really didn't go to a lot of bee club meetings because they talk so much about varroa control and yeah, treating yeah. <laughs> that um, uh, that it's not that I don't feel welcome, but to me, there's other things in beekeeping have to do than Varroa. So, mm -hmm. well, listen, um, I, I called you in the blue and I'm guessing both of us have to go to work, but I, I just literally have to say, thanks. I mean, you know, I wanted to get somebody who's treatment free to tell their side of the way they run things. No BS about, strategy or philosophy or whatever just how does it work you know and how do you do and it sounds like you're making a good go of it you have a website or facebook page or email or anything you want to tell people about in case they want to talk to you yeah i have a facebook page um nk apiaries um nk is like north korea um apiaries it's on a facebook page and i have some videos and people can message me on there and make comments on some of the videos that i have made and uh I don't have a whole lot of videos, probably half a dozen, but mm -hmm. I'm going to post some more stuff and um, try to post some more strategies to try to help people out. Yeah, and the best way to get you is to just go to that page. I'm guessing they could message you there because uh, some people are probably going to ask you some questions about what you shared tonight. And, um, you know, that would be really helpful. Yeah, I have no, I have, would like to help people interested in treatment free and I understand their frustrations and losses and, I think we all have our losses and we all get frustrated and um, I think we should try to work together to try to make beekeeping more fun and productive. Yeah. So Jeff off the cuff killed it. Thank you. Really no appreciate that you gave me the time and uh, like our beloved bees, when beekeepers go together, we can accomplish great things. Thanks for listening everybody. And Jeff really thanks for the time. Yep. Thank you.